Amen. Thank you, ladies. Appreciate that. Nail it to the cross. You know what, this morning, do you believe that there is hope in Jesus? Do you, believe it, do you believe that he can deliver you from the burdens that's on your heart and that's on your mind and that's on your soul? Do you believe that he can deliver you? Do you believe that he is able to nail to the cross? The Bible says he in his own body bore our sins on the cross. If you're going through life and you're burdened down with guilt and shame and, and, and all these things in your life, you don't have to live that way. You don't have to go on that way. You can come to this altar. You can give it to Christ and you can find freedom and deliverance and hope like you've never found before. I'm telling you what I thank the Lord, that God in his mercy sent his son to be the propitiation. That means the substitute for our sin. He sent someone that could make a way that all men might come to salvation. Boy, I tell you what, I am thankful for a God who loved us, who provides for us, and who has made a way of salvation for us. Boy, I'm telling you what, there's a lot of folks who are following a hopeless gospel. Let me just say, if the gospel that you have, if the salvation that you have has not done anything for you, then it's not the right gospel. Because when the Holy Spirit of God moves in on the inside of you, the Bible says, behold, old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. He will make a new creature out of you. Amen, amen, amen. That was sermon number one. We're going to be in the book of Luke this morning. Book of Luke, book of Luke. Boy, I tell you what, I just love the Lord. I love the things of the Lord. I love his word. It's really a struggle for me because during the pre-service, during the worship service, the choir singing, the special music, the congregational singing, I'm just getting all kinds of inspiration. I mean, I'm just, I got all kinds of things I can preach on. I'm like, man, I'm going to say something about that and I'm going to say something about that and I'm just, I, I could get up here and just preach all, all service long on a variety of things I think about during the worship service. Let me just encourage you. Let me just encourage you. When you come to the Lord's house, come with a mind to worship. You know, a lot of times we come to the Lord's house with a mind full of everything that's going on outside of the church. And the songs are sung, the specials are sung, the fellowship is had, and we leave not having experienced anything. Come to the Lord's house with a mind to worship. And I dare say you will be amazed at how much bigger of a blessing you will receive from the things of God if you come with a mind to worship. I'm trying to get to the book of Luke this morning. Amen. Amen. We're going to be in the book of Luke. I've been looking at this thought for some time as we were teaching through the parables. I was uh, looking to moving into this and was trying to uh, time it right so that we would stop the parables and move into this study at the right time so that we'd be able to accomplish what I feel the Lord would have us do, what I think would be a blessing to us during this season. And, and the thought that I'd had and what I've been working towards uh, is looking at the life of Christ uh, 
from uh, the book of Luke. And so what I hope to do, Lord willing, uh, is we will start today, and we're not necessarily doing a study, verse-by-verse study of the book of Luke. Uh, uh, for one thing, that's not the, the goal that we're aiming for, uh, but also it would take a while. The one commentator that I was looking at uh, had broke the book of Luke down into individual outlines, and I think he had 92 of them. So it'd take us a while uh, to get through the book of Luke in a verse-by-verse fashion, uh, and that's not the main goal, but we do want to take the book of Luke uh, as the basis uh, of our study and look at some of the main occurrences in the life of Christ, starting, of course, uh, with the birth of Christ, which we'll begin looking at this morning, uh, and then we will follow through these events prayerfully, Lord willing, uh, until we end up uh, at the crucifixion and the resurrection uh, at the end of Luke around Easter this year. So that's the series that we're going to try to follow through, Lord willing. And if the Lord allows us to do this, of course, if he takes a different direction somewhere along the way, that'll be all right. Uh, I have found out, though, in regards to the Word of God, it's all good. And so as long as we're preaching out of this book, uh, it's all good, it's all helpful, it's all instructive. And so we're going to start here using the book of Luke as our basis, uh, and we're going to move through the book of Luke uh, looking at the birth of Christ, uh, uh, some of the main events in the ministry of Christ, uh, a little bit of the teachings of Christ, uh, and then follow right on through uh, uh, to the crucifixion and the resurrection uh, prayerfully around Easter. So I encourage you... Uh, if you are able to, if you could work this into your reading, uh, maybe pause the reading that you're currently doing and slide over. And I encourage you to read through the book of Luke uh, a couple of times during this study. Uh, it is my intention, Lord willing, uh, to I'm going to pause my Bible reading and I'm just going to read the book of Luke over and over and over and over as we're going through this study and try to get myself just saturated uh, with this book. So I encourage you uh, to step aside, take some time to read the book of Luke and see this uh, that the Lord has for us. Whenever we uh, look at the book of Luke, uh, uh, we see that the book of Luke is an interesting gospel. Now you have the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Interestingly, uh, Luke, uh, of course, was not one of the apostles. Luke was a physician, as we know. The Bible doesn't tell us a lot about Luke, but it tells us that Luke was a physician. Uh, Luke traveled with the Apostle Paul. We find uh, in the book of Acts that Luke traveled with the Apostle Paul uh, in his missionary journeys and was assistant to Paul. Uh, and Luke uh, wrote the Gospel of Luke... Uh, and the book of Acts. He penned these two books uh, and put them together. Now, a lot of times we don't realize this, uh, but the book of Luke and the book of Acts combined uh, lets us know that Luke wrote more of the New Testament than any other author, including Paul. Luke wrote more of the New Testament, uh, including Paul. Uh, now, if you put Hebrews in for Paul, uh, which some folks say that they believe Paul wrote Hebrews, if you put Hebrews in for Paul, uh, then Paul might have the edge on Luke, but it's close. Uh, uh, if you say that we don't know who wrote Hebrews, Luke is definitely the leader. And then there are some who feel that Luke wrote the book of Hebrews. We're not getting into that debate today, just saying that some say Luke wrote the book of Hebrews, and if Luke wrote the book of Hebrews, then Luke definitely wrote more of the New Testament than any other writer. Just something interesting to note. Uh, we're having some books of Luke printed uh, that we're going to be giving away at the Nativity. Pray that they get here on time. They're supposed to be here Thursday. Pray that they are here Thursday. Uh, these little books 
the Luke that we'll be handing out. When I talked to uh, Brother Doug Hummel at Bearing Precious Seed about printing these, uh, they, I said, I want the same layout format as you have with your John and Romans, except it'll only be the book of Luke. And surprisingly, these books of Luke are longer than the books of John and Romans combined. And so uh, we see that the book of Luke is a, a, a long gospel. It is definitely the biggest of the three gospel or the four gospels. Uh, it's the most thorough of the four gospels. There's a lot in the book of Luke that isn't contained anywhere else in any of the other gospels. There's a lot of themes and, and subjects in the book of Luke that we won't be able to get into this uh, study uh, that are driven home in a much better way or in a much uh, more convincing or stronger way than they are in the other gospels. So I love the book of Luke. Probably my two favorite gospels are Mark and Luke. And here's the reason why. I can read the book of Mark in an hour. So if I'm just wanting to get the gospel, I can sit down for an hour and read the book of Mark and I can get the whole picture in one setting. But the book of Luke is my favorite also because it contains so much. But it takes closer to three hours to read the book of Luke. But anyway, love those two gospels and, and I love the book of Luke. Now, very quickly, very quickly, give you just a short introduction uh, to the book of Luke. We see in verse 1 through 4, let's read these verses. For as much as many have taken in hand to set forth in order a declaration of those things which are most surely believed among us, even as they delivered them unto us, which from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word. It seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write unto thee in order, most excellent Theophilus, that thou mightest know the certainty of those things wherein thou hast been instructed. Now, we see this is a, an introduction to the book of Luke. It is the only gospel that gives us a, a reason why it was written and a recipient of it. Now, if you look over in the book of Acts chapter number 1, you will see that Luke again references Theophilus. He says, The former treatise, speaking of the book of Luke, that I have made, O Theophilus, spoke of Jesus and all that he began to do, uh, both in Jerusalem and Judea. And so we see that the book of Luke and the book of Acts are tied together. They were originally written as one volume. Now, the book of Acts ends with Paul awaiting trial in Rome. We come to the end of the book of Acts and we find that Paul is in Rome. He is awaiting trial. The Bible says that he lived there in his own house for two years, was able to teach the Word of God freely, but he was under house arrest for two years. This is where the book of Acts ends before Paul went to trial. Now, it is believed, uh, or it is a, a believable opinion, let me put it that way, it is a believable opinion for myself that the book of Luke and the book of Acts were written by Luke as the defense that Paul was going to present to Caesar in Rome. Paul was being brought before the court. He was being charged with preaching the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is in prison for two years. Around 60, 61 A.D., Paul is in prison. And during that time, it is very likely, of course we do not know this for fact, but it's very interesting to help us understand the scope of these books. During that time, many believe that Luke penned the book of Luke and the book of Acts together as a defense to be presented to to the court in defense of the ministry of Paul. Now, whether or not that is true, I do not know, but I do know that Luke here in the introduction, he says, I have written this book so that 
you may better understand and be insured of the things wherein thou hast been instructed. Luke wrote this book to drive home the truths of the Word of God. And so we're going to take a little bit of time this morning. I promise I won't keep you too long, uh, but we're going to take a little bit of time this morning and we're going to look into this study. We're going to be starting in verse number 26, in verse number 26, and we're going to be looking at the announcement of Jesus' birth. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and then we'll read the text this morning. Father, Lord, I love your Word. Father, I love being able to get into your word and to read your word and to see the truth of your word and, oh Lord, to see how your word is applied and, oh Lord, to see how it reveals to us the truth of you and who you are and why you came. And, oh Father, Lord, it reveals to us the hope of salvation. It reveals to us the hope of eternity. And Father, I thank you, Lord, that we can come away. We can come away from the distractions of this world and, oh Lord, from the pull and the temptations. And, Father, we can come away to a place place, uh, oh Lord, where we can look into your word and Lord, we can more thoroughly learn of you and understand you. Father, Lord, I've enjoyed looking here into this book already and Father, as I begin to share it this morning, Father, I ask that you will help me to communicate clearly the word of God. I pray to Lord that they will understand, uh, Lord, and, and be able to understand what it is that you are saying through me, Father, this morning. Help us, Lord. Help us, Lord, to have a heart for God. Help us, Lord, to have a pursuit in our hearts for the Word of God. Help us, Lord, that we will strive to be students, Lord, of the Word of God and of the things of God, Father, I pray. Bless us now, Lord, as we look at this passage, Lord, as we begin to move into the Christmas season and begin to look at your birth, Lord, your coming to earth. I pray to Lord that although we're familiar with the story, Lord, once again, it'll ring true in our hearts. Lord, once again, it'll refresh in our minds the sacrifice that you made in our behalf. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness. Thank you for everyone that is here. Bless those, Lord, that are unable to be here, those that are homesick and unable to be here. Lord, I pray you touch and bless them. Thank you for your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Let's look here starting in verse number 26 of Luke chapter number 1. The Bible says, And in the sixth month the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Now this sixth month uh, is six months since the angel Gabriel had appeared uh, to Elizabeth and let her know that she was, or appeared to Zacharias, I'm sorry, and let Zacharias know that Elizabeth, his wife, was going to bear a son, which of course would be John the Baptist. And so six months after he appeared uh, to Zacharias, it says, and in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou that art highly favored, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great and shall be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? 
And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she hath also conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For with God nothing shall be impossible. And Mary said, Behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. So we're going to look here at this passage of Scripture. And of course, this is the announcement of Jesus' birth. This is when Gabriel came to Mary and let her know that she had been chosen to bear the Christ child. There's a few things that we want to look at this morning concerning this announcement as we begin this study looking at the life of Christ. In verse number 26, as we start into the passage, the first thing that we notice, of course, is the heavenly messenger. The heavenly messenger. In verse number 26, it says, And in the sixth month, uh, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee uh, named Nazareth. Now, as I just said a moment ago, uh, we see that six months earlier, uh, he had appeared uh, to Zacharias uh, to announce the birth of John. If you'll look back in verse number 11, look back in verse number 11 of this same chapter, uh, it says, And there appeared unto him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said unto him, Fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard, and thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John. Now, of course, John is significant. John is the forerunner of Christ. John is the one that's going to proclaim the Lamb of God. John is the one that was prophesied that the Messiah would have a forerunner. It says, And thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth. For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink, and he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost, even from his mother's wombs. And many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God, and he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elias, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord." And Zacharias said unto the angel, Whereby shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife well stricken in years. And the angel answered and said unto him, I am Gabriel, that stand in the presence of God, and am sent to speak unto thee, and to show thee these glad tidings. We see that Gabriel appeared to Zacharias to announce the birth of John. Now interestingly enough, Gabriel says here in description of himself, I am Gabriel that stand in the presence of God. I just want to derail here for a minute and say I'd like to have Gabriel's job, wouldn't you? Man, can you imagine? Gabriel said I am Gabriel and I stand in the presence of God. That is what I do. I am there with him. It's interesting to note that there's only three angels who are named in the Bible. The Bible tells us that there are thousands, ten thousands, multiple thousands of angels, uh, yet there's only three named. That's Gabriel, Michael, and Lucifer. And of course we know that Lucifer was lifted up with pride and was cast down out of heaven. And so the only two angels that serve the Lord that we know the name of is Gabriel and Michael, although there are many thousands of angels. Now this verse right here reveals us a little bit of things about angels that I just want to point out to you. Gabriel is mentioned here revealing the birth of Christ to Mary. He is mentioned here revealing the birth of John to Zacharias, but Gabriel is also mentioned in the book of Daniel ministering for the Lord. 
Daniel took place 500 years before the passage that we're reading now. 500 years prior to this passage, Gabriel was ministering. The thing that I notice here is that the Bible reveals to us that angels never die. Angels live continually. Therefore, the angels that minister to you and I are the same angels that ministered to Daniel, are the same angels that ministered to Mary and Joseph, and they are the same angels that are ministering to you and I. Angels are continual. We see that not only do angels not die, but angels are the ministers of God. They are the ones who who communicate to us or they or they carry out what God wants them to carry out. They come on mission from the Lord. We also learn from this passage that angels make earthly visits. This is very clear. Angels make earthly visits visits. They will come. They will uh, be here on earth. Uh, The Bible tells us that many have entertained angels unawares. There have been angels who were here, who were in the flesh, uh, who looked, spoke, and acted like a man, but in truth, uh, they were a minister of God sent here to minister to you. I don't know about you, but just this little recognition uh, just kind of, I don't know, it does something on the inside of me to think about the fact uh, that I might be ministered to uh, by the same angel uh, that ministered to Daniel, uh, that ministered to Zacharias, uh, that ministered to John, uh, that ministered to Christ. Christ, uh, the same angel uh, could show up uh, and could minister to me. Uh, boy, I'm telling you what, uh, it just thrills me inside. I mean, it just excites me to think about that. And then they go back and they're in the presence of God. So we see that on this day, though, this, this, this angel in this passage had a special mission to a special lady. This was the long-awaited day. Uh, this was the fullness of time. This was the announcement of the Messiah. The Messiah has come. The announcement that the day they've been waiting on has come. Now, this message wasn't delivered to just anybody, but Gabriel came specifically to Mary, who we know as a holy maiden, a holy maiden. In verse number 27, it says, To a virgin, espoused to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Now, just a little interesting tidbit for you here. I'm going to have to cut the tidbits out or I'm going to have to go long one or the other, right? But anyway, just an interesting tidbit for you here. I've been doing some looking into the history of the English Bible. And I'll just, I'll just throw this out for you. If you're going to defend your Bible, you need to know where it came from. You need to know a little bit about it. Uh, whenever people try to def- defend the Bible they use and they know nothing about it or where it came from or how it uh, evolved, uh, they really don't have a foot to stand on. So you need to understand the history of your Bible. So I've been looking at the history of the English Bible and enjoying that. And Melissa was asking me for Christmas ideas the other day, and I told her, I said, I'd like to have a copy of the Geneva Bible. The Geneva Bible was printed in 1560. It was the predecessor to the King James version of the Bible, of the Geneva Geneva Bible was the first whole Bible translated from Greek and Hebrew, the first whole English Bible translated from Greek and Hebrew. It was the first Bible to have chapter and verse divisions in it. Uh, just a very interesting Bible. The Geneva Bible was also the Bible of the, of the Protestant... Uh, uh, 
Reformation. Uh, it's the Bible that John Bunyan used. It's the Bible that came over on the Mayflower. It's the Bible that, that made a, a big impact on America. It made a big impact uh, on our founding fathers and our constitution. The Geneva Bible was, was a very good translation. Anyway, all that being said, I was looking in the Geneva Bible and I was reading this passage of Scripture. One of the things that made the Geneva Bible so popular was that it was full of reference notes. And so I was reading in the Geneva Bible, I was looking at it online. Melissa's not bought me a copy yet. I'm just throwing this little hint out there. But anyway, uh, I was looking at the Geneva Bible online and was looking at the reference notes that they had to say about this passage of Scripture. And it in the Geneva Bible, Mary's name is Marie. Marie. And I thought, huh, that's interesting. I wonder why they translated it as Marie. So I started doing a little study on the name of Mary. Joel was talking to me last night, and he said, it's a shame that the church people never get to hear about all this stuff you find out, because I was telling it to him, so y'all finding out. But anyway... <laughs> I'm like, how come was it translated Marie and not Mary? And I realized that in the Latin, Mary was Marie. And I'm like, well, huh, I wonder what it was in the Greek. What, what was it in the Greek? And in Greek, it would have been Maria. And in Aramaic, which is probably the spoken language at that time, her name would have been Maram, Maram. So just an interesting tidbit for you to know. I fit the, the English translation of her name is Mary. have no problem calling her Mary, but boy, sometimes it's interesting to see how things develop and things evolve. The first thing we notice about Mary is her purity. She was a holy maiden. The first thing we notice is her purity. Twice in this verse, verse number 27, twice we are told that she was a virgin. Let me just derail here just for a moment. I mentioned that sexual relations is intended and designed by God for the marriage. Any sexual relations outside of marriage goes against God's design for sexual relations. Now, I'm not saying that you can't be forgiven for it. I'm not saying that, that committing that sin will keep you out of heaven. I'm not saying that at all. But I am saying that it is outside of God's design and you will have repercussions, you will have regrets, you will lose some of the meaning of what God intended inside your marriage if you take it outside of marriage. God designed it. And boy, I'm telling you, we ain't never going to make it through the book of Luke. I'm just so full of so much stuff. I tell you, we live in a day when people are trying to undermine everything this book teaches. And they hold up, for example, people who have misused this book. And believe me, there's been plenty of people that have misused this book. There's been plenty of people that have taken this book and used it to give themselves power over people and to usurp power where they shouldn't have and so forth and so on. And they've used this book wrongly. And so this generation holds these people up and say, because of how they misused the book, we no longer need to apply any of the book. But I want to say that there are some things that are taught in this book that are still the Word of God, that are still true, that still apply. And if you apply yourself to them and you live by you will experience the best life that you can have. God designed marriage. 
It was not man's invention. Man had nothing to do with it. God designed it. God said, I want one man to marry one woman and I want them to stay together for life and inside that union, I'm going to give them the gift of sexual relations as part of this union and it will be the way whereby we can replenish the earth and God established this and God said, this is my design and this is how it works. And whenever you step outside of God's design, don't forget you are His creature, His creation. He designed you. He made you. He knows how you work best. And when you step outside of His design, you will experience repercussions for not doing things the way you were designed to do them. Ever, ever young guy that gets a pickup truck likes to take that pickup truck and see how fast it'll go, see how deep it'll go in the mud hole, if it'll actually come off the ground when you go over the railroad tracks, and so forth and so on. Every young man, maybe there's a couple of y'all that didn't, but every young man rags the devil out of their first pickup truck. I mean, just run that thing to death. But it don't take long for you to realize that that's not what the manufacturer designed it to do. Now the old truck may keep on running. You may keep using it for a while. But you'll realize that because you used it differently than what it was designed for, it developed problems. The same thing applies. God designed it. Use it the way God designed it. Anyway, moving on. Mary was pure. Mary and Joseph were espoused, which is today's equivalent of engagement, and yet Mary was still pure, which was necessary if she was going to be used in the capacity of being mother to the Messiah. Not only was she pure, but we noticed that Mary was prepared. There were many married women who, although holy and pure, could not be the mother of the Messiah because they could not fulfill the prophecy of a virgin birth. Many unmarried women, though chaste and righteous before God, could not carry the Christ child because they had no husband. Mary was in the perfect place. She was a virgin espoused to a husband. I find it interesting that God desired that his son be raised in a home that consisted of a mother and a father. Another thing that our society is attacking is the importance of the home as God designed it. God said that a home is made up of a husband and a wife, of a mother and a father. This is God's design for a home. And I know that there are circumstances and some people find themselves in situations that they do not want to be in. But I believe that our, our society has torn down the importance of the home as God designed it. And God said, I want my son to be raised in a home with a mother and a father. Anyway, we see that Mary was, Mary was pure. Mary was prepared. She was a holy maiden. Not only was she a holy maiden, we find that Mary was an honored maiden. The Bible says in verse 28 and 29, And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou that art highly favored, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. When she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. I see here that she was an honored maiden. I want to show you just a couple of things about Mary. I see here in this passage that she was highly favored. Boy, wouldn't it be something if our testimony was that we were highly favored. 
of the Lord. You know how I believe you find yourself highly favored of the Lord? is when you get in pursuit of God. In pursuit. I want to know more about Him. I want to understand Him. I want to fellowship with Him. You get in pursuit of God. The relationship between you and God gets stronger and you will find yourself highly favored of the Lord. Not only is she highly favored, we see that the Lord was with her. We see that she was blessed among women. There's some clarifications we need to make about Mary. Some clarifications. Although Mary had a remarkable testimony, she was used by God in a special way to bring our Savior into the world. Mary, just like the rest of us, was a sinner who needed a Savior. Catholicism has wrongfully elevated Mary. And just want to briefly list a couple of misconceptions and wrong assumptions that's been made regarding Mary. We'll probably close after I go over these and we'll come back to this. The first thing that the Catholic Church teaches concerning Mary is to pray to Mary. You've probably heard of praying to Mary. You've probably heard the, the prayer, the Hail Mary prayer uh, that people give. And in praying to Mary, the Catholics teach that we are to pray to or through Mary when we bring request to God. The Hail Mary prayer first appeared in print in 1495 in an exposition of an Italian friar. And he wrote in here that this is the prayer that we are to pray. He wrote this in 1495. Praying to Mary is nowhere in this book. Nowhere. And now let me just give you a rule of thumb when it comes to understanding the things of God. If it's not in here, it don't apply. Man is really good about adding to the words of this book. But the Bible says if you add to the words of this book, uh, you will be accursed. So we see here that praying to Mary is nowhere in this book. The Bible clearly teaches that we are to pray in Jesus' name, not Mary's name. The Bible says in John 14, verse number 13, And whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, this is Jesus speaking, whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And if you shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. I was talking with a Catholic once. He was a, a, a wonderful guy, very devout guy. I, I believe if, uh, if there's a Catholic who uh, possibly was also a Christian, this man may have been uh, because he was very devout, very, very... Uh, 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 interested in the things of God and he could explain so much about Scripture. He wasn't nonchalant, very devout Catholic. And so he and I were discussing praying to Mary and I told him, I said, I don't, I don't agree with that. I don't think you pray through Mary. And he said, well, it's like this. He said, if, if you were to ask me something, I may or may not do it for you. He said, but if my mom were to ask me, I can't tell my mom no. He said, so whenever we pray to Mary, he said, we're not, we're not praying to Mary as, as if we're asking Mary to meet our request. He said, we're praying to Jesus and to God through Mary, but we're letting Mary take our request to Jesus. I said, you mean to tell me you think Jesus loves Mary more than he loves me? 
No, no, no. He has promised that if I ask anything in His name, He will do it. That doesn't leave much for Mary, does it? If anything I ask, He's going to take care of it, then why do I need Mary going and asking requests for me? And you know what? It also indicates that Mary cares for me more than Jesus cares for me. Because if I can go to, if I can ask Jesus and Jesus might say yes or no, but I can ask Mary and Mary will ask for me, that indicates that Mary loves me more than Jesus does. And I think Mary's a wonderful person. And I think God thought she was a wonderful person. And she accomplished a tremendous thing in being used of God to bring the Christ child into the world. But let me tell you, she does not love me more than Jesus does. It was Jesus that hung on the cross for me. It was Jesus who bled and died for me. It was Jesus. That gave his life. It was Jesus that came to earth and lived the life of a man. It was Jesus. And Mary don't love me more than Jesus does. But the Catholics, they like to say that we should pray to Mary. The Catholics, they say that they teach the perpetual virginity of Mary, that not only was she a virgin when she had Christ, but she remained a virgin the rest of her life. The problem with that is in Matthew 13, verse 55, the Bible says, Is not this the carpenter's son? Speaking of Jesus. Is not his mother called Mary and his brethren, James and Joseph, Simon and Judas and his sisters, are they not all with us? This clearly shows that Mary did not remain a virgin, but she went on to bear more children. And then thirdly, the Catholics like to teach that Mary is a co-redeemer. They teach that Mary is necessary as an intercessor in order for us to obtain salvation. But the Bible says in John 14, verse number 6, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. In John 10 and verse number 1, Jesus speaking, he said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. You drop down to verse number 7 and Jesus says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door. He that entereth not by the door, but cometh up some other way, is a thief and a robber. I am the door. If you're looking to marry for your salvation, the Bible says you're a thief and a robber. Because I am the door. We see here in this passage of Scripture that Mary was chosen. Mary was pure. Mary was holy. Mary was prepared. Mary was preferred. Mary was an honored maiden by the Lord. And Mary is the one that God chose to bring the Christ child into the world. But Mary is not our Redeemer. Jesus is. Let's all stand to our feet. I thank the Lord for the Word of God that teaches us the truth concerning the Son of God. There's a lot of stuff that goes around. There's a lot of theories. There's a lot of ideas. A lot of wondering, is this true? Is that true? The Bible answers those questions in telling us about the coming of our Savior. As Miss Debbie plays, the Lord spoke to your heart. If you're here and you've never accepted Christ as Savior, you come and do business with the Lord.